And so that is something that will apply to all of us for those reasons. Our text comes from Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Just one verse, you're not going to be standing real long. So let's stand to our feet for just a moment. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Perhaps a familiar passage of Scripture that comes from the ESV version. Here we go, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You may be seated. Very good. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that verse, and I'm going to break it up into four different parts. Let's take a look at the first part of that verse. It's a command. Uh, Solomon, who writes this, tells us, he says, train up your children. I've got a slide here for you. The word in Hebrew that is translated into what we read as train up is the word Hanukkah. It comes, it's the word Hanukkah that you might know from uh, Jewish tradition. So, or Hanach, something like that. I don't, I don't do the guttural part. So, uh, the word Hebrew that's translated there, train up, is that word. And it's only used four times in all of the Old Testament. Three of the times, uh, one of them's right here. The other three times, it's always used about dedicating a building. For example, 2 Corinthians or Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 5, King Solomon is dedicating the temple and he says, King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen, that's an awful lot of cows, and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated Hanak, or Hanak uh, the house of God. In training this child in the way they should go, doing this in that Hanak kind of a concept, this is an act of dedicating the child to the Lord. Just as they were dedicating the building to the Lord, so we are bringing that child forward to the Lord, and we are dedicating that children to, for the Lord's use. Every time we teach them about God, every time we read to them from the Bible, every time we say prayers with them at night, through all of these actions, we are saying to God, God, this child is being primed. This child is being prepared. This child is being uh, put together for your use. I'm trying to prepare this child, God, to bring glory to you. Second part of that verse, number two, is it says, train up a child. Now, we may think that that term, a child, as we read it there in the, in the uh, English, is very simple and very self-explanatory. But when you go back to the original languages, again back into the Hebrew, we discover that it's a little bit more uh, nuanced than just talking about toddlers. Um, the word that's used there um, is the word na'ar. Um, for example, it's over in Genesis chapter 34 we discover that word. Genesis 34 and verse 19. This is Jacob's daughter is about to be pledged to be married to this young man. And so here's what it says. It says the young man, the na'ar, same word that's used there, train up a na'ar, a child. The young man who was the most honored of all of his father's household lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So the word that's na'ar is translated young man in this verse in Genesis 34. In Proverbs 22, it's translated child. But the, con the idea is that, I mean, it's, it's a large expanse of time, right? From toddlerhood to somebody who's marriageable age. And that's what the Bible has in view So when it uses this word. So translated over in 22.6, it says a child. But in Genesis 34, it says young man. The point is that the training up of children. We're talking about this this morning before church with a couple of folks. The point is... Training up of children does not stop when they're, you know, can use the bathroom by themselves, right? It continues on into their lives, into the early years of their lives as we release them off into adulthood. I will let you moms and dads figure out when you think is the proper time for mom and dad to say, okay, now, you know, you're on your own. Um, <clears throat> now that said, getting our kids good instruction while they are young is crucial what is learned in the early years is formational. The values that are imparted when we are three and when we're five and when we're eight, those do seem to stand up against the wear and tear and the test of time. 
The Bible is saying that we are wise to seize upon the pliability of childhood. Uh, that, you know, children are sponges. Children soak things in. Children are impressionable when our kids are young. When they were young, they were much more able to, we're, we are much more able to straighten out with effectiveness the crooked shoots that maybe run off of those branches of rebellion, the crooked shoots of disobedience, the crooked shoots of disrespect. But if we delay dealing with rebellion and we delay dealing with disobedience till that child has grown, it puts us in a much more difficult position of having to bend those crooked shoots, those crooked branches, after they've already begun to harden. So start young, but don't stop too early. This, this parenting thing continues on uh, in toward adulthood. Number three, we've heard the command to train up. Uh, we know who it is that we're supposed to train up. Now the question is, how do we do this? What is the curriculum that the Bible says? This is what we want for you to do. This is what you're supposed to be communicating to them. Well, here's what the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Solomon writes, train up a child in the way he should go. Notice, first of all, what Solomon does not say. Solomon does not say, train up a child in the way the child thinks they should go. Interesting. How about that? The command is for parents to lead, not for parents to follow. Let me be very clear. Children do not know what is best for them. Okay, just making sure you all are awake. Any child psychologist who is worth their salt will tell you that um, who has spent any, anybody who's spent any time working with children will tell you that children do not know what is best for them. When I was in college working on my undergraduate degree, I've got a slide for you here. It's a fellow by the name of Jean Piaget. Some of you who are educators probably spent some time studying Jean Piaget and his cognitive development theory. I did the same. We spent a lot of time um, reading and studying this guy's works. Um, Piaget was the first child psychologist, at least one that I knew of. Piaget would spend hours sitting in a classroom full of students, just observing those students, watching how the kids interacted with one another, asking them questions, um, all sorts of things of that nature. And what he discovered is that a child's morality, their sense of what is right and wrong, develops over time. It begins with what he calls, and I thought it was him that was this, that originated with this, the pleasure-pain principle. Actually, in a little Google internet searching this morning with some folks before church, they said, you know, it actually dates all the way back to Aristotle. So I, I had those, those facts a little bit off. But anyhow, he did talk about the pleasure-pain principle. In other words, if it gives pleasure, then that must be good. And so this is how a toddler up through about four years of age understands morality. Like if this thing was good and I enjoyed it, then that's what for them is morally good. And if something caused pain, if something brought displeasure, then they would associate that as being morally bad. That's the moral compass of a two-year-old, three-year-old, up through four, maybe even five years of age. Um, the pleasure-pain principle. The second stage of moral development occurs between ages five and nine. This is where the child discovers what, that the world is full of rules. And they look to those rules as their source of morality. So what is right from what is wrong? Well, I just look at the rules that my teacher has for me in class. I look at the rules that my parents have me. I have to look at the rules that society when I'm out of the ball field. And you know, if I violate those rules, then I've done morally wrong. And so that's kind of how they think about that. But about the age of 10, the child's cognitive abilities develop, and they are able to think in the abstract, or begin to think in the abstract. They're able to differentiate between values and the rules themselves. 
They're able to see the reason why we have those rules is because those rules uphold certain values. They reflect mutual respect of persons and of property, that sort of thing. It's at this point that the rules themselves no longer represent morality, but the values that are reflected in those rules are now what represents morally right and morally wrong. For example, the teacher may say, look, I have a rule of no talking during tests. Now, is it morally wrong? Like, would you, would you be committing some sin if you were to talk during a test? Well, of course not. Of course you wouldn't be more, uh, violating the uh, law of God by talking during a test. But by not talking during the test, it does keep people from cheating. And so there's a value of academic honesty behind that rule of not talking during tests. Back to my earlier point, children are not equipped to know what is best for them. They're just not. Their little minds are developing. Their cognitive abilities are just not there yet. However, moms and dads, adults, you do have the skills necessary to process right and wrong. You are seasoned in life. You have a firm grasp of reality. You see the values behind those rules that the little people don't quite see yet. And so that's why God charges parents not children, to train up the child in the way they should go, to steer that child, to guide that child, to correct that child when that's necessary. Lead your children. They need for you to do that for them. Now, the flip side of that is what a tragedy it is when a child grows up who has never been disciplined. Not only are they unruly, but they are grossly ill-prepared to go out into the world and to be successful. You see, if mom and dad never tell the child no, the world eventually will. And when the child gets out into the world and starts acting in an unacceptable way, the world will tell that young man or that young woman, no, you can't do that. You can't act that way here. You can't, that won't work at this workplace. Because the world does not want that kind of unruliness you know, running the show. Uh, they will, and so when that happens, they're ill-equipped to be able to handle that no and it results in all sorts of difficulties. The, my point is, training up a child in the way they should go requires you to use the word no a lot. <laughs> Mom and dads, it is okay. I just want to go ahead and let you know, it's okay to use the word no. It's very short. It's a wonderful word. I mean, it's a, God blesses that word. Um, it's a good word. It establishes boundaries in your kids' lives, boundaries that they need. It will help equip them to be successful later in life. If you need some practice on this, you know, you just have difficulty saying no, and like my kid actually feels like I meant no. If that's, if that's something that's difficult for you, I would encourage you to stand in front of the mirror, look yourself in the eyeballs, and just say the word no over and over again until you stop blinking and looking away, right? And just get very used to and very accustomed to saying the word no uh, to yourself. And then when it comes time to say it to your child, it'll just drip off your tongue. No is a wonderful word. Another way to say no, if you need a little variety, um, you just want to mix things up, is to say, we'll see. <laughs> my, girls heard, my, girl, my girls heard the words, we'll see, a lot. Dad, can we go get some ice cream today? We'll see. Dad, can we stay up a little bit later tonight? We'll see. Right? Because I'm not telling them no, but at the same time, I've, you know, so in their mind, when they're little, they're thinking, oh, well, maybe we get to go do that. Right? But we'll see. Um, <clears throat> So we've been commanded what to do. We've been commanded to train them up. We know who we are to train, our children. That's not just limited to when they're super young, but it follows them up until they're ready to be launched into adulthood. And now we've learned what it is that we are supposed to teach them. 
not what the child thinks is best for them, but what you, the parent, know is best for them. And I would imagine that you are pulling from all sorts of biblical resources in order to establish what it is that is best for them. Last part of the verse, end of verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this part of the verse raises a peculiar question. The question is, is God, is that a promise? Like, is God saying that if I train up my child in the way that he or she should go, that when they get older, like, they're going to, even if they rebel, they're going to return to that. They will not depart from it. Is that God making some sort of a promise or a guarantee to us? The answer to that question, my opinion, because commentators are a little bit different on this. My opinion is no. I don't think God's making us a promise here. This is a proverb. This is a statement of wisdom that is generally true in most circumstances um, of life. It follows that wisdom and promises are two different things. For example, years ago when we lived in South Georgia, the largest church in every town in South Georgia is the Baptist Church. I don't know if any of y'all have driven through South Georgia, even that's the case here in North Georgia, some fun places as well. And the second largest church in most South Georgia towns is the Methodist Church. That was just kind of a truism. That wasn't always the case, but for the most part, as you traveled through South Georgia, that's what you would discover. Baptist was the largest, uh, Methodist was the second largest, and then the rest of us. Just the same here, Solomon is saying, in general, in most cases, when you train up a child in the way he or she should go, the end result will be that those values and those commitments will hold into adulthood. They'll continue to observe those things and believe those things and practice those things. They won't depart from it. So I don't believe this to be a promise from God, but it is the wisdom of God. God recommends that we observe this. The alternative is don't train them at all. Just throw caution to the wind and just hope for the best. Um, friends, when you leave a void like that in your child's life, something will fill it. And you may find out that it's not what you hoped for. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. There was a father who had two sons. One of them lived by the book. The other son was rebellious. And the rebellious son said, hey, dad, I want all of my inheritance. And he went off to Vegas with all of his inheritance. And he lived a luxurious life and all the sorts of things that go along with that. Um, And then eventually he lost all of his money and he finds himself in a pig pen eating alongside the pigs. And he thinks to himself, you know what, this is ridiculous. My dad back home, the servants working for my dad, do much better than this. And he began to feel convicted about the sin in his heart. And so he goes back to his dad. He returns home, Luke chapter 15 and verse 21. He says, Father, when he sees his dad, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the values that that father had planted inside of his son's heart came back to the surface. They helped him come back to his senses. He discovered again, he was reminded again of what's right and what's wrong. And I've been on the wrong side of this thing. And so he gives himself uh, or or submits himself to his father's will. He submits himself uh, back to his father's expectations. Um, All right, well, that is our text for today. And so that means it's time for us to stop and ask our most important question, the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I appreciate what you're sharing here this morning, but a lot of what I hear feels like theory, right? It feels like we're just sitting in Jean Piaget's class. Um, can you put some handles on this thing so that me as a parent, so I have some things I can take out of here and carry those forward into how I'm raising my children? Uh, um, can you give me some practical tips or methods? All right, let's see if we can do that. I got three practical suggestions for you. They're going to come fairly quickly. Uh, Because I know we've all got lunch ready to go to. Um, Number one, 
number one, the first practical suggestion about how to train up your child in the way they should go, number one is to spend time with your kids. To spend time with your kids. Take your kids fishing. Take your kids on vacation. Take your kids to ball games. Go to your kids' ball games. Ask them to do chores with you around the house. Spend time with them. Ask them questions. Love to a child is spelled T-I-M-E. Love for a child is spelled T-I-M-E. Your kids will never mistake that you love them if you'll spend time with them. One of my buddies, when we lived down in uh, South Georgia in Statesboro, he said that his dad used to take he and his brother fishing. Now, he was quick to point out that when you take two elementary age boys fishing, that dad doesn't get to do a whole lot of fishing, right? He spends most of his time, he said, like helping us get, uh, what do you call it when you hook a tree? He hooked a tree. Anyhow, so he's helping get the stuff out of the tree. He's helping him retie lines that are broken. He's helping them, uh, you know, bait up hooks, all those sorts of things that dad would do with two elementary age kids. He said, but now that I'm grown and I look back to all those times that my dad used to take me and my brother out fishing, he said, I realized that my dad was intentionally spending time with us doing something that we thought was great and that he was just loving it. He was so glad to be there, but for him was more like work. Not as, not as much relaxing as we would have thought it was. Friends, love for kids is spelled T-I-M-E. He said, I knew because of that that my dad loved me. Number two, second practical way that we can implement this, that we can train our kids in the way they should go, is to pray with our kids at night before bed. I can remember my mom reading me Bible stories at bedtime. My parents would tuck me in at night and pray with me. Claire and I have been very deliberate with our girls about doing this as well. Get on your knees. Pray with your kids. You lead them in prayer. When they get to a point where they're ready, they've heard you pray enough. that They're like, hey, look, now, now you, get, you take a shot, shot at it. And you pray as well and have them pray. Number three, buy your kids their own Bible and present it to them. Buy your kids their own Bible and present it to them. You know, they even have these places where you can go where they'll engrave their name on it. And you can present that Bible to them, and it becomes something that's a treasure for them. It becomes something that they realize the value of God's Word. And they learn that through that special gift that you've given to them. Friends, the greatest duty we have as parents, our number one priority, is not to clothe our children. It is not to feed our children nor is it to ensure that they become the best soccer player in their grade or the best baseball player in the county. Our greatest duty is to train up our children in the way they should go. And if that means that you and I need to adjust our priorities, then, hey, let's adjust our priorities. Why? Because nothing comes between the Lord and my child. Let me end by sharing with you a secret. <clears throat> Your kids are going to grow up going to happen. They are not going to be with you forever. And their success is not going to depend on whether or not they had a fast car growing up or whether or not they lived in the biggest house or whether or not they had the finest clothes to wear or even what college they attend. Friends, there are people all over this world who grew up with all those things who are miserable. Your child's success will depend in part on whether or not you and I did what God charged us to do to train up our children in the way they should go. Being a parent, friends, is the most important job you will ever have. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you that uh, we get to come here 
and we get to hear truth from your word spoken into our lives. Lord, if there's some priorities that we need to kind of look at and reset, may today be the day when we say, yep, Lord, that's something that I'm going to do. That's something that I'm going to implement in my family. God, where there is a, where we need to make that reset, give us the courage uh, to take those steps and to do those things. God, this is a tough job, parenting. This is a, um, a high calling. Lord, we approach it with uh, knowing, God, that there's so much that hangs in the balance. It is the most important job we'll ever have. So, God, we lift up our moms today. We lift up our dads today. And as a church family who may or may not have little ones running around through our house, God, we come alongside those young families to say we love you, we support you as your church family. We are here with you. Lord, as we come around this table today, we're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body. Thank you, Lord, that you pursued us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to enter into a relationship with us. Or may we take what you are doing in our heart, what you are doing in our lives, and pour that out into our children. We give you this time. Holy Spirit, speak to our lives, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Mm-hmm.